Heavenly Father, as we come to look at these words that have been given to us by Paul, we pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to us anew. We pray as we meet on this Father's Day that we would see what it means to be a father in Christ. Amen. Well, the question is for us this morning, what makes a good father? What makes a good father? Perhaps it's a coincidence when Will drew up the, uh, the rotor that uh, this passage would come on Father's Day. And I'm sure if I brought the mic around to you and asked you individually, what would you say would make a good father? I'm sure we'd get lots of different uh, ideas. But this quote came to me uh, Anyone can be a father, but it takes a real man to be a daddy. A good father makes all the difference in a child's life. He's a pillar of strength, support, and discipline. His work is endless and oftentimes thankless. But in the end, it shows in the sound, well-adjusted children he raises. You may or may not agree with that. You may have had that positive experience, or you may not have had such a positive one. Well, we're in a series, a short series, and this is the last one in the series of 1 Corinthians, and uh, we've seen how the Apostle Paul has loved the church of Corinth. He has warned them, he has criticized them for their behavior, And last time, a couple of weeks ago, Margaret told us how the Christians in Corinth are called to live topsy-turvy ways, to live to have upside-down values compared to the world. Paul had written to them, Do not deceive yourselves. If any one of you thinks he is wise by the standards of this age, he should become a fool so that he may become wise. And we have read, haven't we, in these chapters, in these four chapters, that the Corinthians are boasting about their supposedly wise teachers and they think that Paul's simple message of Christ crucified is is foolishness. But now, as we turn to verse 14 of this chapter 4, he reminds them of his relationship to them. They are his dear children in a spiritual way, and he is their spiritual father. Well, speaking of the relationship between natural children and their natural parents, the Bible says that children are to honour their parents in the Lord in order that it may go well with them. And we know that we suffer harm when we don't honour our natural parents. And now here, there seems to be a similar correlation between our relationship to our spiritual parents and our spiritual well-being. Because if we are followers of Jesus this morning, if we have come to faith, what we call being born again, we will be able to recognize this because we're all sons and daughters in faith to that person who led us to Christ. Now, of course, we may well have problems identifying who that was, because it may have been years ago. 
He might have been a preacher, a friend, a parent, a youth leader. But it will be that person who brought us to that place where we came to the cross and asked Jesus for forgiveness and received new life in the Spirit. Likewise, we may well have been someone who led others to Christ. And then we will have become a father or a mother to them spiritually. And there again, we have a special relationship which binds us together, giving us both roles and responsibility. And this is what Paul is talking about in this passage. Look in verse 15. He says, I became your father through the gospel. He had come to Corinth. He'd preached the gospel. He'd founded the church in that city. And he'd brought these disciples to faith in Christ. And therefore, he had a special relationship with, him, with them. He was a spiritual father to them. He loved them. He had a responsibility for them. And like a good human father who loves and cares and wants the best for his children, he knows that this will involve encouragement, it will involve discipline, it will involve advice and a modelling of how to live their lives. So I think there are four things that Paul speaks to us about this morning from this passage. Four things. Firstly, he counsels them and he corrects them. Look in verses 14 and 15. He says this, I'm not writing this to shame you, but to warn you. And we know, don't we, that a true, wise human father will admonish and correct their child in love. We've all seen the results of this when we see pleasant and balanced young people. But when children haven't had this correction in their upbringing, they are spoiled and often out of control. And they can be an embarrassment both to the parents and a pain to be around with the general public. And so, Paul admonishes these Christians as a loving father would. We've seen this previously in the chapter in verse 5 and 6, where he says, don't judge. Don't take pride in one man over another. Don't be puffed up. And in his gentle sarcasm of verses 8 to 10, Paul doesn't want to make them squirm, but he has to do something when they're in the wrong. And so, he offers them correction. In fact, the offer of correction is a sign that he truly loves them. And this is despite the fact that they have many guardians and teachers. Look in verse 15. A note of exaggeration at this point to make the point. Other teachers will come. Other teachers will visit the church. And they may well bring different teaching. But here, Paul isn't being critical of the teaching, but only that Paul is their only spiritual father through Christ and the power of the gospel. And so there we have that first point. I am not writing these things to shame you, but to to warn you as my beloved children. But secondly, he urges them and appeals to them that they imitate him. Look at verse 16. 
like all good fathers who will model the way of living for his children, giving them a good example of how to live. And so Paul does the same. Now, you might think this is a strange form of discipleship, but in fact, it's a method that comes throughout the Bible. Jesus did this for his disciples and for us. And so in Matthew 11, verse 29, Jesus says, Take my yoke upon you. How his followers were to learn from his example of gentleness and humility. The apostle Peter taught the Christian leaders to do the same by his example and not by commands. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 3. Don't lord it over the people assigned to your care but lead them by your example. Paul writes this also to other churches. So to the Philippian church in Philippians chapter 3, verse 17, he says, pattern your lives after mine from the example of his enthusiasm, perseverance, and maturity. And in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 16, Paul writes, but God had mercy on me, so that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of his great patience with even the worst of sinners. And so Paul, in this passage, is using his unworthiness to receive Christ as an example of grace, so that no one would hold back from coming to Christ. But it is important that we understand what Paul means when he tells them to actually imitate him. What's he actually mean by doing this? Well, in the Greek and the Roman and the Jewish culture of the time, this was a common expression. When a pupil was told to imitate their teacher, or when a worshipper was told to imitate their God, the term imitate doesn't refer to one who mimics, nor even to one who follows as a disciple, but to one who actually internalizes and lives out the model that has been set before them. In other words, what Paul, Paul is not telling them to mimic his actions and words, but to adopt his whole way of living, that is, living by faith in the Son of God, living the crucified life. And in asking them to imitate him, Paul was not contradicting his earlier teaching when he condemned their practice of identifying themselves as followers of a particular man. If you remember, we had that earlier in our series when he said, don't say, I am of Paul or I am of Apollos. He was not asking them to become followers of Paul, but like himself, to be filled with the Spirit of God and led by God. He's continuing with his emphasis all along in exhorting them to abandon their living, their lives, according to the natural wisdom of the world. But like himself, to be led by the wisdom of God. So rather than seeking to be accepted and exalted in the eyes of the world, Paul says, embrace the crucified life, as illustrated in chapter 4 verses 9 through to 13, and expanded in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. So what have we got here? Well, we've got here an example that Paul models them the way of living in humility, compared to the arrogance of the, of the Corinthian disciples. What Paul is actually saying to them is this. 
When people see them, do people see Christ? If they are modeling him and Jesus, then this is what people will see. But how, you might say, was Paul able to say this? Isn't this presumptuous? Isn't this arrogant? Well, Paul can say this because he walked close to God. He spent time in God's word and in prayer. I don't know if you remember the story of Paul. Remember his Damascus Road experience where he met with Christ. And then after that Damascus Road experience, he travelled on into the Arabian desert where he spent three years alone with God. Paul was aware of God's presence within his life at all times and that Jesus was his example that he was modelling. And it's this that Paul was saying the Corinthian Christians should imitate. Paul imitated Christ. And they should imitate him, and in so doing, they will be imitating Jesus and his way of living. And so as they look at Paul, they should see Jesus. And as I was thinking and praying about this, I thought, well, isn't this the challenge for me? Isn't this my individual challenge? Isn't this the challenge for us and the challenge for us as a church? As the world looks at me, do they see Jesus who gave all on the cross for others? If I and if we proclaim the gospel of Jesus, is this what people are seeing in our private lives? Are we doing this? As our neighbours here in the uh, parish of Higham in these streets around, look at Holy Trinity Church. Does it see the crucified Jesus? We pride ourselves, don't we, on being a biblical, believing, evangelical church, which is great. But we need to ask ourselves, is this reflected in the way we live within the parish? Are we acting as Jesus would have acted? It's relatively easy, isn't it, to talk the talk, but not so easy to walk the walk of Jesus. And so that's a challenge, I think, that Paul brings to these Corinthians and a challenge for us this morning. But thirdly, he encourages them. He encourages them. Look at verse 17. He encourages them through the teaching of Jesus' life and his life to the church. Now, it's important for us to remember, of course, what it was like for the Corinthian church at the time. There was no easily available Gospels written like we have in our day and age. No, they relied on hearing verbal reports and letters that had come from those that had experienced Jesus and his ministry. And so that really was the apostles. So look at verse 17. We see here the whole point about Timothy. Timothy had travelled with Paul on his second missionary journey, which we read of in Acts 16. Timothy, we are reminded, was also Paul's son in Christ. In other words, Paul had that same relationship with Timothy that he'd had with these Corinthian Christians. Paul was his spiritual father, and Timothy was faithful to the gospel message, being full of faith in God, walking consistently by faith, which is the one requirement of God's stewards. 
And we know, don't we, because we've got the, uh, the teaching in front of us, that Timothy was a key player in the growth of the early church. And it's thought that Timothy arrived in Corinth shortly after this letter did. And we know that some of the false teachers wanted to distract the Corinthian believers away from the gospel message, that Christ was the center of the faith. So Paul gave Timothy the job to remind the Christians how what Paul spoke actually matched the way he lived and followed Jesus' example. Timothy was to ensure that Paul's advice given in the letter was read and implemented. And then he was to return to Paul with a progress report. And so Timothy witnessed to the fact of Jesus and what Jesus had done in Paul's life. So that was to be an encouragement to them, and that should be an encouragement to us. But lastly and fourthly, we see that Paul warns them in verses 18 to 21. And if you look at those four verses, you see that Paul pulls no punches, does he? He writes, Some of you are arrogant, You think too highly of yourselves. You talk a lot about faith, but that's all it is. It's talk. You may know the right words to say, but their lives don't reflect God's power. Because what Paul is saying here is that God's kingdom here on earth is to be lived and not just discussed or talked about. And there's a big difference between knowing the right words and living them. And this is a real challenge for evangelical Christians today and churches. Yes, we have the right words. Yes, we claim to know what the kingdom of God involves. But do we see the kingdom of God here in Norwich now? If you think about it, we pray most Sundays in church, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. It's part of the Lord's prayer. But the question is, how is this happening here and now? Well, Paul says the kingdom of God is living by God's power. And that power comes from his Holy Spirit working through his people. So what should we expect to see? Well, we should expect to see changed lives within the community of believers. People that are generous, grateful, joyful, broken and serving. We should expect to see the evidence of the Holy Spirit through the gifts being used. So we can look at Corinthians 12, where Paul instructs these Corinthians as to the spiritual gifts given by the Holy Spirit. Paul writes that they should expect prophetic words, healing, tongues, teaching, love, and worship. But you will note here in these verses, in verse 21, that Paul writes this is a choice for them to make. The way they react to Paul's letter, will they receive correction a rod, or will they receive it in love? Paul is stating that God prefers mercy than judgment, but this will depend upon how they choose to respond to his teaching that he's given them in these first four chapters. Now, of course, it would have been easy, wouldn't it, for Paul to have washed his hands of this rebellious church in Corinth. It would have been easy for him to let Apollos or Peter to take responsibility for them. 
but he does not abdicate his responsibility as the spiritual father to his spiritual children. Now, as I said at the beginning, this is the last in this short series in Corinthians. We've been following a similar teaching within 1 John in the evening service. We've been challenged as how we, as Jesus followers, live our lives. Well, I think for all of us, both individually and as a church, we need to take some time, don't we, to consider this. As we look back over the last few years here at Trinity and look over these four chapters, some of this teaching won't apply to us, but some may. So Paul challenged what they did in their lives. He said to them, did their lives match what we speak and claim to believe? Paul, if you remember, in this book, repeatedly used the phrase, in Christ. Paul identifies legitimate living and serving as being that which is done in Christ. Not that which is done in the energy of the flesh, not in the wisdom of the world, but in Christ. Abiding in Christ. Trusting in Christ. Relying on the power and wisdom of Christ. And so the only legitimate way for believers to live is to live in Christ. Yes, we are good at the words, aren't we? We talk the talk. But do we live the self-sacrificial life that Jesus and Paul did. Do we live it? Do people see Jesus as they look at me and they look at us? If not, then we need to confess this and we need to ask that God's Holy Spirit show us how we need to change, how we need to have that power that can only come from his spirit, that power that calls for complete ownership of us and the church. Because without it, we cannot hope to live as Jesus did. So that's a challenge for each one of us. And that's a challenge for us as a church this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to the end of this short series in Corinthians, we thank you for the Apostle Paul. We thank you for the way that he gave his life for the Lord Jesus. We thank you for his dedication. We thank you for the time he spent in your presence. We thank you for these words that he wrote to that Corinthian church that was in some ways similar, in some ways dissimilar, to our church here. And we pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit, that Paul begged them to give their true lives to, would fill us anew, fill us with the power that comes from your Holy Spirit, that we might walk the walk as well as talk the talk. Amen.